Have you ever gone to a strange city and picked up a car, or maybe even a strange country, where you're not very familiar with the language, and you started driving? Now, you've done your homework. You already have looked at the map. You mapped your way through, and you know how you're going to get there, and you got it all worked out. And then after you've gone for a few miles, there it was, the sign that says, Detour. Now, you follow the detour, of course. You say, well, you know, what can be all that bad? I'll just go exactly what the Word said. And, and in having experienced that in other countries, and most European countries, the word detour is very similar. So you figure it out, and you go, tells you to go right. You go right, and you get left, you go left. And, um, but you follow the detour, son, and you keep going. And then after a little while, all of a sudden, you come in an, into an intersection where are no more signs. You don't know to go right, left, or straight ahead. No signs. Now, for whatever reason, somebody stole the sign, or they just ran out of them, or the workers just gave up. But no detour sign. And so, in a kind of a panic mode, you try to use your best common sense approach, and, and you try to wing it. Now, here you are, right now, in the middle of a serious lost in a detour. Now, I want you to have that feeling of lostness, okay? I want you to just feel that with me right now, okay? Here it is. You are stuck with this detour sign is missing, and you don't know where you're going. I'm telling you this for a reason. I want to talk to you about four detours that are very dangerous to your life of joy and contentment. And you see, God sometimes allows restlessness. Sometimes God allows discontentment in our lives for one reason, that is to drive us back to Him. Today, I'm speaking to believers. If you're a person who have never experienced what it means to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the forgiver of your sins, the giver of eternal life, you can do that today. But for those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ... Those of us who have come and received the forgiveness at His hands and discovered that rest our souls, those of us who have come to Him believing in the finished work of Christ on the cross as to be a payment for our sins, and we are coming into salvation on His coattail. Now, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ know also some discontentment and loss of joy and loss of peace in our Christian walk. Many of us know what it's like not to experience that life abundant that Jesus promised. And then we have to sit down and say, why? And ask that question. To me, there are four detours that take you away from contentment in your Christian walk. There are four dangerous detours that causes you restlessness in your Christian walk. And these detours are really designed by the enemy for simply to get us away from our destination. They are designed to get us away from peace and contentment in our Christian walk. If we're not careful, these detours can become 
a source of restlessness. They become a source of discontentment. These detours can steal your joy. They can steal your peace. You're going through the motions. You're going to church. You're singing the songs. You're praying. You're even having a quiet time in the morning or the night, whatever you have your quiet time. But you're going through the motions and your loss of peace and joy and contentment. There is a reason for that. There's a reason for that. In fact, there are four reasons. I want to share them with you. Four, no more. And each of them can be a source not only of restlessness, but can be a source of wandering, a source of loss of inner peace. Each of them can literally pull us away from our destination where we want to go. Each of these detours can turn relationships into rancor. But before I give you those four detours... I want to have a disclaimer here, just to be true to the Word of God, that absolute peace is impossible in this life, that unadulterated joy is only possible in heaven, that true contentment can only be experienced when we see Jesus face to face. So I got that out of the way. I want to make sure that you understand that because that is the core of the gospel. And if I leave it out, I would not be truthful with you. So what are these four most dangerous detours that can send us off course in our spiritual walk? Number one, unwillingness to confront our weaknesses. Unwillingness to confront our weaknesses. Secondly, unawareness of the lie of legalism. Unawareness of the lie of legalism. Thirdly, underestimation of the pitfall of pride, underestimation of the pitfall of pride, and finally, unfaithfulness in self-giving. Now, having given to them in this kind of pedantic form, let me give them to you in an unpedantic form. Now, some people say, you know, Michael, I wish you'd just stop this un and this and that kind of thing. You know why I give you those pedantic kind of language, you know? To irritate you. (laughs) At least I irritate some of you anyway. (laughs) But you know why? When I irritate you, I know you'll remember the points. So let me give them to you in a non-pedantic form, okay? Our weaknesses, legalism, pride, and tight-fistedness. How do you like that for blunt talk, okay? No pedantic here. Listen, every one of us have weaknesses. Every one of us. And now that I've written so many books, most of mine are in public. (laughs) Public knowledge. You know your weaknesses, I know mine. Everyone has weaknesses. There are some people who have physical weaknesses that causes loss of joy and loss of contentment. Some pain, some grief, something that is happening to them physically, bodily. There are other people who have moral weaknesses and they are constantly losing their joy because of that moral weakness. Some have character flaws. Some have a a problem of spiritual discipline that's constantly making them lose their contentment and their joy. Whatever the area of your weaknesses may be, if you have not learned to apply the grace of God on the area of your weaknesses, chances are you've lost your contentment. You're already in a major detour and you've lost your way. You have lost your way in that detour simply because you do not know how to apply the grace of God in that area of your weaknesses. Now, let me tell you something. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I know some people always like to hear what they want to hear. So, 
Uh, somebody said he's going to go out of here and start focusing on their weaknesses and say, well, Michael said so. No, no, I did not say that at all. Do not focus on your weakness. That is not the issue. In fact, that is an equal danger on the other extreme. Do not make your weaknesses to be your focus. That will get you into worse trouble. But what I'm saying to you is that the answer to all of our weaknesses is when we focus on the grace of God, that can become perfect in our weakness. I know I've experienced that firsthand many times. Now, my friend, I want you to listen. If the grace of God is not sufficient for your weaknesses, chances are you're focusing on your weaknesses too much or you're ignoring your weaknesses altogether. Either place you should not be. Now, the grace of God is sufficient for all of our weaknesses, no matter what they are. And as I said, yours are different from the person next to you. They're different from mine, and mine are different from yours. Because apart from trusting in the grace of God to meet your weaknesses and to give you victory in your weaknesses, there can be no contentment. There can be no contentment. Only when you know and daily learn to apply the grace of God to the areas of your weaknesses will you understand what it is not to lose your joy. You know, as I said, one of my public weaknesses is that I'm impatient. I'm just an impatient person. And what do I do? I pray every single day to apply the grace of God to my weakness of impatience so that the grace of God becomes perfect in me. The second thing I want you to be careful about, because it's an area of a detour, is what I call the lie of legalism. I'm absolutely amazed. I really am amazed. As I travel around the Christian community, I'm amazed at how many Christians are into legalism and they don't know it. They really don't. I'm amazed. So, before you start saying, well, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by legalism? Am I in, am I in legalism or that? No, 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 let me define it for you, okay, so that you understand what I'm talking about, that we're both thinking on the same level. Legalism is the elevation of any man-made rule to the level of the commandments of God. Let me repeat that. It's the elevation of any man-made rule to the level of the commandments of God. Now, I'm not talking about your business rules or school rules or, or the laws of the land. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your Christian walk. I'm talking about your spiritual walk. Having those rules elevated to the same level as the commandments of God. You know, when I grew up, I was up to my eyeballs in legalism. And I did not know it. I really did not know it. I remember one time I had an argument with a friend when I was in my teens... And I insisted that the commandments, thou shall not smoke, drink, play cards, or go to movies, were in the Bible. And I spent all night searching the Bible. Couldn't find them, so I had to admit the next morning that he was right. I was absolutely submerged in legalism. Now, i got to confess to you, some of these things are not, not very healthy and not good for you, and the other stuff is basically a waste of time as far as I'm concerned, that's, but that's not the issue. The issue is, do you elevate any rule to be equal with the commandments of God? That's legalism. I want to take this a little bit deeper. Anyone who says that they are saved by the grace of God plus, now, whatever comes after that plus, 
It doesn't matter what it is. You are into legalism. If you're saved by the grace of God plus the church, you're into legalism. You're into the lie of legalism. If you get saved by the grace of God plus communion, plus baptism, plus this, plus that, plus the other thing, you are into legalism. Because there is no plus after the grace of God. Period. Now, I want to tell you why. Because whatever that plus is in your life is going to cause you problems. You say, well, how come? Because whenever you cannot keep that plus, you're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose your peace. If you choose the lie of legalism, it means, listen to me very carefully with this one. If you choose the lie of legalism, here's what's going to happen to you. You have abandoned the grace of God as the only basis of your relationship with Him. Now, don't get me wrong. There are those in the evangelical churches today who are running around and saying, it's all by grace, it's all by grace, it's all by grace, grace will cover it all, and they are living in an immoral lifestyle And they say, well, grace will cover it. Now, let me tell you something. That's what Jude calls a license. I was reading him this morning in my personal devotion. And that is worse than the legalism. So I want you to listen very carefully. Legalism is keeping the commandments of man and elevating them to the level of the commandments of God. Why do I say this? Because thinking that legalism is going to please God or make you feel, is going to make you feel to be a super spiritual. And that thinking, listen to me because it's all in the mind, that thinking is going to diminish the wonder of the grace of God. You see, I grew up believing, at least the church that my parents went to, believe that it's a partnership. God does his part and you do your part and the salvation is a partnership. My friend, that is a lie of legalism. They are no partnership. Jesus did it all. And it's all by grace. And he has given it to you. And he's willing to give it to you as a gift of grace. Unworthy, unmerited favor. That's the awesomeness of the grace of God. That is the wonder of the grace of God. And legalism will do it every time. It's going to snatch that wonder away from you and from your life. It will rob you of the joy, of the wonder, of the grace of God. It's going to rob you of the joy of trusting in the grace of God to meet you at every point of your needs. Legalism is a detour from contentment. So it's not only confronting our weaknesses, not only the lie of legalism, but thirdly, the pitfall of pride is dangerous detour from contentment. You know, many people in the leadership of this church many years ago, many of them here in this congregation right now, will testify to you that the fact that I have, in the early days, have struggled with the area of grace in receiving. I'm not necessarily out of the woods yet, but I sure came a long way. (laughs) They will testify to you that this was a huge problem for me. It was a huge problem until a precious friend a trusted friend, a godly friend, came to me, put his arm around me, and he said, Michael, 
Have you thought about the fact that your lack of grace in receiving is rooted in pride? How do you think I reacted to that? Take a guess. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. I've been waiting for somebody to tell me something like that. (laughs) Not on your life. (laughs) I mean, I was miffed. I was angry. I was disappointed. I wanted to ignore everything he says. What does he know? How can he? He does not know me. He does not understand. He, and I, I, I just wanted to ignore that statement altogether. You know, I pouted. <laughs> A couple of weeks later, I was before the Lord in prayer, and the Holy Spirit began to convict me. Michael, the brother is right. The brother is right. I didn't like it any more than you like it when somebody tells you the truth. <laughs> but when the Lord, the Holy Spirit brought me under conviction, I realized he is absolutely right. You know, I want to tell you a couple of things about pride. If you dig deeper, any sin in your life, any weakness in your life, if you start digging deeper, start peeling the layers, you're going to find pride lurking right in the middle there. All cause of sin is pride. Try me. And the second thing I want to tell you about pride, I know that firsthand. Pride is very, 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 how many varies are these? Very deceitful. It's very deceptive. Pride can dress up to look like something, oh, very spiritual. (laughs) It can be so disguised and presented as something very selfless. Pride can be disguised as righteousness, when in reality, pride always, always is self-serving. In fact, I want to tell you something else. I don't want you to miss this. I'm convinced that pride hinders answers to prayer. I believe that with all my heart. Pride hinders answers to prayer. I am convinced with every fiber of my being that God in heaven is longing to look down and see his children praying big prayers, praying God-sized prayers. I am convinced that God wants his children to daily keep asking for great and mighty things So that God's name be glorified. So that God's kingdom be expanded. But pride puts an end to all of that. In fact, pride is at the root of the fact that so many Christians have been sitting in the seats of salvation and have never exercised faith in the great God that we have. I'm convinced of that. Not only did they miss out on the blessing, but heaven would not rejoice simply because we allowed pride to fill us and to trip us. Not only unwillingness to confront our weakness can be a detour, not only the lie of legalism can be a dangerous detour from contentment, not only the pitfall of pride can be a dangerous detour from contentment. Fourthly, lack of generosity can be a detour from contentment. In all the years that I've ministered, I have never, ever, 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 ever met a generous, hilarious giver who's not a joyful person. (laughs) I've just not met them. I've not met a person. 
In fact, I know people in this church who have gone through the toughest times and I stand in awe and I see them and I look at them and I see how they still never lost their joy in the midst of their toughest experiences in life. Still joyful. I've never seen a generous person, not a joyful person. In fact, a lot of people give to God. It's just like they give to Uncle Sam, the taxes. You know, they they feel the same way about it. (laughs) I mean, they're uptight when they give. They they feel that, that, that they've got to do it out of sense of duty. We'll just get it over and done with and look for the first excuse not to give. And they feel that God is fortunate to get the crumbs that they give him. You know, you've heard me before probably quoting a great Methodist preacher of yesteryears by name Clovis Chapel. He used to say, I love to preach on generosity because I love to see the generous rejoice and the stingy suffer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just in case you're thinking that giving has anything to do with what you give or has anything to do with what you have, I want to disabuse you of this thought by pointing it to Jesus. And I'm convinced that the Lord Jesus, the God of glory, God of very God in human flesh, has a keen sense of observation of people. And the the Gospels tell us about an incident where Jesus was obviously in the temple and uh, he got very close to the treasury of the temple where people were giving. And you know how they used to do it back then? Uh, they, all the giving was public. So the Pharisees were coming in. And here comes Pharisee Mr. Uh, Smell Fungus. Okay? And they would declare, here he comes. And he brings his big bucks and, and comes in there and dumps them in that treasury box. And the trumpet will blow, blah, 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 And everybody clap, you know. Here comes... Pharisees snookums, and you know, just everybody, trumpet will blow, and, and everybody will clap, and not wonderful. And then Jesus standing there watching all this taking place, and then he sees this precious widow who comes in with what would be equivalent to two cents of our money, two pennies. And she brings this, and probably she was ashamed, and probably was hiding, probably didn't want anybody to see it. And she went in there so quietly, put the money. In the treasury box. You know, the Pharisees had something like, would be equivalent to um, our toll booth. You know? (laughs) See that? No pennies. (laughs) I mean, there is a limit of what you can put in that treasury. There was a minimum. You you wish this toll booth would take pennies. Dump all the stuff you keep at home. You know, I mean, all these bags of pennies, you just dump them in there. And they had something like that. I mean, I'm not saying it was automatic, but, but they had rules, and you can't pay less than that. And this was the least a person can give. The least coin that could go through that booth, toll booth. Jesus commended her for all generations as the most generous of all. Come on, Lord, what are you talking about? I mean, you got people here that are giving you big bucks. Yes, but Jesus understands that those big bucks are only crumbs of the big bucks givers. Lord Jesus, what? See, it has nothing to do with what you have. It has nothing to do with what you give. It has everything to do with the element of sacrifice 
And this woman gave everything she has. Everything she has. She was a woman after Jesus' own heart. Do you know why? Because only a few days later, very short time later, he went up on that cross and gave everything. Four dangerous detours. Not knowing to apply the grace of God to our weaknesses. Falling in the lie of legalism. The pitfall of pride. Lack of generosity. I told you earlier that ultimate contentment is not possible in this life. That for true joy and peace, we have to wait until we see Jesus face to face. Nonetheless, the Lord does give His children a foretaste of heaven as they walk through this life of temporary peace, temporary contentment, temporary joy. And that's what I've been talking about, not the permanent one. And so, God in His mercy, God in His grace, God in His sovereignty, He framed human history between two gardens. The Garden of Eden is the beginning of humanity. And there in that magnificent, beautiful garden, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, they brought in discontentment and sorrow and restlessness that we've seen their son Cain has inherited. On the other end, there is another garden city that is to come. It's called the New Jerusalem. The Bible talks about this magnificent garden city that is coming down from heaven, the New Jerusalem. But you know what? In the middle between those two gardens, there's a third garden right in the middle. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And for everyone who is going to make it through to the garden city of God must come through the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Lord Jesus Christ, God of very God, paid the price for the sins of all who put their trust in Him. Somebody said, paid the sins of everybody everywhere in the world? It's available for everyone everywhere in the world. But only those who come and claim it becomes theirs. To make it to the ultimate garden, you must come through the Garden of Gethsemane. But I'll tell you a couple of things about this wonderful, wonderful garden city called New Jerusalem. There in this magnificent city, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself with all the believers who have gone before us, all the saints from the Old and the New Testament, in the Old Testament, those who looked forward to His coming. In the New Testament, those who have looked back to His cross. They are in that garden city with Him. In that garden city called New Jerusalem. All discontentment and restlessness were end. In that garden city called the New Jerusalem. All conflict, all strife will cease. In that garden city called the New Jerusalem. All tears will be wiped away forever. In that garden city called the New Jerusalem, all the forces that are constantly pulling us away from the presence of God, from the joy of God, from the contentment of God, it'll be gone and disappear. In that garden city called the New Jerusalem, all the striving, all the tension, all the disharmony in homes, among families, and among friends will be gone forever. There will be no more death or dying. There'll be no more sickness or disease. There'll be no more suffering or 
pain. There'll be no more hatred or bitterness. There'll be no more separation or alienation. There'll be no more tears, no fears. That's my destiny. Is it your destiny? But if it is not, if you're not sure, it can be today. It can be your destiny today. It is my prayer. It's my imploring that not a single person here today would not be absolutely certain that if you close your eyes in death today, that you'll be right there in that garden city. Father, in the name of Jesus, we rejoice and we thank you for the Garden of Gethsemane because that's made it possible for every one of us to be assured of the garden city that is to come. Father, we thank you that not leave us in the restlessness and discontentment of the Garden of Eden. We thank you, Father, that you have made a plan for our salvation, for the believers to look forward to that day, not with fear, but with anticipation. For those who don't know you will come to know you today and have that hope in them. For I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.